Welcome. We're so glad that you are here. I'm Ryan, one of the pastors. And uh, we are actually in week four of this series called Stranded by Religion. And today we're going to talk all about rules. And uh, so it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, right inside of your bulletin should be some message notes if you want to go ahead and grab those out and take out your pen and do some fill in the blanks. Uh, for those of you that haven't downloaded our app, you can do that right on um, Right, uh, go to your app store, find that app, and then you can even take notes inside of the app, which is great. And we also want to say welcome to those of you watching in the parent viewing room. Uh, that's a great place to go if you have little ones that might get fussy during the service. We would just kindly ask that you would take them out the back door there, and an usher can help you find that room where you can watch the service live with us. Well, throughout this series, we've been trying to answer this one question. If you were to start over in faith, if you had never been to church before, if you had never read anything out of the Bible, if no one had ever taught you anything, if you wanted to reignite or restart your faith over again, how would you do that? Where would you look? What kind of questions would you ask? Uh, What would you kind of be paying attention to? And how might you view faith differently if you were to do that? And the reason that this is an important question is because we said from the very beginning that everything has a starting point. Everything has a beginning point. Uh, You had a starting point. All the babies up here today had a starting point. Your career had a starting point. Your parenting had a starting point. Your relationships had a beginning. And so does your faith. Your faith has had a starting point. And somewhere along the line, your faith started. Maybe it was when you were a kid and someone took you to church or to a temple or to a mosque and they began to tell you what to believe and it, and it formed for you a faith foundation that you were going to begin to build your life on. Uh, maybe you went to a Christian school. I went to a Christian school when I was uh, K through 7th grade. And uh, a lot of times they said, okay, here's what you need to believe. Here's what the Bible says. Here's what you should, how you should live. And for a lot of us, we grew up with a faith or an understanding about God Um, And we were taught those things as a child, and we assumed that they were accurate, and for a while they worked, until they didn't. And maybe somewhere along your faith journey, into your adulthood, you bumped into something that didn't make sense, or there were discrepancies that you found in the Bible, or you just had questions, and you had a lot of doubt, and people just said, hey, if the Bible says it, then you just go with it, right? And so for you, maybe unintentionally, your childhood faith began to crumble underneath you, because you had more questions than you had answers for. And maybe unintentionally, you even walked away from faith. Or maybe you walked away from church. And so what we've been suggesting throughout this whole series is that adults, every adult, needs a new starting point for their faith. Something beyond just believe this because the Bible says it, or just believe it because a person like me in a position like mine once told you to believe it. And so along with that, today I want to introduce an idea to you that might be a key reason why maybe you walked away from faith or maybe left church altogether. And uh, this is an important topic. It actually builds on all the other three. So if you missed any of the past three weeks, I want to encourage you to go to riverwaychurch.com and watch back the messages as each one of these build upon one another. Well, this thing that we're going to talk about today, um, you know, for a lot of us, we've never quite figured this out. We've never really accurately understood it. And as a result, it messed up how we view God and what we think that faith is all about. And it really centers around this question right here. What role do rules play in religion? What role do rules play in religion? Now here's something you know, it's your very first fill-in on your notes, it's this, that every religion has rules and every religion has a rule maker. Come on, we know this, right? Every religion has rules and that means that every religion had to have a rule maker. But we never get to be the rule makers, 
do we? And that's kind of frustrating, right? Do you remember those rules growing up that you just kind of pushed against and you're like, I don't like the rules. I wish I could change those. You know, one option is we could all just go start a new religion and we could just start our own rules. I don't think that would work out so well though. Um, But I don't think we like them, your next feeling, because we don't like religious rules because they actually and usually run contrary to our natural tendencies. Come on, you know this is true when you were growing up. If you grew up in church, there were certain rules that you wanted to push back against because they ran contrary to your natural tendencies. And for some of you, you thought, well, if I want to do it or if I think it's fun, there's probably a rule against it and I can't do it. But now here's what I find so interesting is that every religion has rules. But what's crazy to me is that they don't all have the same rules. Right? I mean, you think that religion should all just come together and be like, hey, no matter what religion, let's just agree on a set of rules. Oh, no, no, no. All over the map. Uh, even Christianity, if I were to pick on ourselves for a moment, there's thousands of different sets of rules, right? Depending on denomination and what church and, uh, you went to. I mean, Protestants have all kinds of rules uh, and lots of different variations. Um, I grew up Pentecostal, and we had our own set of rules. Some of them were a little weird. Uh, Presbyterians had their own rules. Baptists had their rules. Uh, But I always thought the Methodists, the Methodists never had enough rules, right? They always seemed like they were having the most fun. And I'm like, they should have some more rules, right? But anyway, Methodists had some rules. uh, But it didn't matter what religious tradition you grew up in. There was plenty of guilt to go around. Because none of us could keep all the rules, could we? None of us, didn't matter how hard we tried. Like I said, my parents, they sent me to a a Christian school when I was in grade school, and it was a very, very strict Baptist school, and they had some crazy rules. One of their rules is that for all the boys, the hair could not touch the ear. And so you had to have that haircut nice and tight up the sides there, right? No hair touching the ears. They said, girls aren't allowed to wear pants. You cannot wear pants. You know, it does not matter. You have to be in a dress. And, and I'm, you know, they thought that anything other than the King James Version of the Bible, that was not right. Uh, there was another group of Christians that uh, even had weirder rules. Uh, they had rules like you couldn't date someone unless you asked the pastor for permission, right? And that is a strange rule. But now that I have a daughter, I... I'm thinking that is actually a good rule, and I think we're going to be implementing that rule, at least into our family. So guess what happened, right? As a result of all these rules that we could not keep, each group thought the others were hypocrites, right? Well, you're not following your rules, you're not following your rules. Meanwhile, nobody actually could follow all the rules, and everybody felt guilty. Now, some of you grew up in environments like this. And they were toxic and they were part of the reason that maybe you've walked away from church or maybe you've walked away from faith. And if you are a rebel, does anyone have a little bit of a rebel? I think all of us have a little bit of rebel inside of us. Then you find yourself resisting anything that feels like a rule which can lead to resisting faith entirely. And so as we talk about rules today, I want to break this down and I'm going to give you a thought at the end that I want you to wrestle with and kind of think about. But I want to start, as we talk about rules, with this premise and this idea right here, and it's the next fill in your notes, that rules always assume some kind of relationship. Rules always assume some kind of relationship. Now, you know this is true because this is true in your workplace. Uh, This is true in your family, in your neighborhood, the church, wherever. If there's rules, the assumption is there's some kind of relationship. And so I want to talk about three big categories that all of us are familiar with. Uh, when it comes to these sets of rules and 
relationships. And I want you to follow these three because these three will make sense at the end of this deal as we try to tie, bring home this uh, one idea and this one thought. Uh, but the first uh, group, the first model that we see this in is in our families. How many of you ever had rules growing up in your family? Anyone have a set of rules in your family? What was like one of the rules that you just didn't like the most? Did you ever have one of those? Think about that. Was there ever a rule that you didn't like? You know, be in by 9 p.m. or you had to keep your room clean or if you don't like to eat the food, if you don't like what I made for dinner, you're not eating at all. You know, like those kinds of rules. I hated the rule of doing the dishes. And everyone, you know, we had a rotation. It was just chores. I hated those rules. I thought that was dumb. And every time I did the dishes and I would whine and complain about it, my parents were quick to remind me that when they were kids, they didn't have dishwashers. They were the dishwashers, you know what I'm saying? And so, you know, always got that and, you know, that was mixed in. But inside of families, there are sets of rules that you had to follow. But here's the interesting thing about this is that in family models, relationship always preceded the rules, didn't it? In other words, you didn't become part of the family because you followed the rules. And you weren't kicked out of the family because you didn't follow the rules. In fact, the point, your next film, the point of family rules was not to punish you, but to protect you. Isn't that true? The point of family rules was not to punish you, but protect you. They gave you uh, rules to help you grow. Parents gave rules to help you teach responsibility, hard work, respect, building character, all of those things, right? As parents even, we give rules to our kids in hopes of all of these things. But eventually, as you grew up, you outgrew the rules, didn't you? But you still did the dishes, and you still helped out around the house. Um, you still did these types of things when you got older. You still told your mom maybe where you were going. Why? Not because they were rules, but because you loved your mom. Because you loved your dad. It was really all about relationship. Now here's the interesting thing about parents setting rules. Is that parents only set rules for their own kids. Isn't that true? Have you ever wanted to set rules for kids that were not your own? Have you ever wanted to do that? Do you ever know some of those kids where you're like, oh boy, if I could set some rules for that. I mean, you're not calling your neighbor saying, hey, listen, go to bed and do your homework. Right? I mean, you're not doing any of that. Why? Because they're not your kids. Parents set rules for their own kids. Now, here's why this is important. That when it comes to the family model, rules, not only do they precede relationship, but they're for the family only. And they don't make or keep you a part of the family. You're part of the family, and then you follow rules. You don't follow the rules to be part of the family. Now, there's another category of rules. It's what I'll call the work model. So we have the family model that we just talked about, right? Relationship precedes rules. The work model, on the other hand, is different. Uh, with the work model, you agree to follow a set of rules to stay gainfully employed. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, when we were starting this church uh, seven years ago, uh, I worked at Costco. I was bivocational. And they had a rule there that in the first 90 days, you could not be late three times. If you were late three times, you were fired, Right? Gone, hit the curb, hit the road jack, ain't coming back no more. All right, this is what happened. And it always blew me away. People would come and they would start working and they would show up late for work once, twice. They'd get all the warnings in the world and the third time, you know, it was always the tire that blew or something. And then they lost their job and they're like, how could you do this to me, right? And that's the way that the rules work in a workplace. And that's how it is designed. Uh, the same is, uh, it's the same for uh, 
sororities, fraternities, country clubs, anything like that. So in the family model, you get the rules after the relationship. But in the work model, you get the rules in order to establish the relationship. So you have the family model. You have the work model. And then this last one we're going to call the in-law model, the in-laws model. How many of you have in-laws? Anybody have in-laws? All right, follow me just for a moment. In the in-laws model, you never really know exactly where you stand. Do you know what I'm saying? Are you in? Are you out? Am I doing the right thing? What are the rules? Am I doing, you know, I mean, they can't necessarily kick you out of the family, but they can certainly make you wish you were kicked out of the family, right? So the in-laws, you just kind of never know where you stand in the family, unless you have in-laws like mine, of course, that are absolutely amazing. And of course, I have to say that because they attend our church and love you, okay? Um, So those are the models. The family model, the work model, the in-laws model. But in each one of them, the point of each one of them is that there is a relationship that accompanies the rules. But when it comes to religion, this is where things get really fuzzy. And you wonder yourself, how does religion play out? What kind of model is it? Like, am I in relationship with God no matter what? And then he has a, a set of rules for me to follow. Or do I have to agree up front to the rules and if I follow them, then I'm in, but if I break them, am I out? Where do I stand with God? And when we talk about things like this, instantly some of you are thinking about this theologically. But for a moment, I just want you, like probably the majority of us are, to really feel this emotionally. Because for a lot of you, when it came to faith or your relationship with God, you grew up feeling like you were in a work model or in the in-law model. You thought that if you did enough things wrong, that God would just kick you to the curb. You're out. There's others of you that grew up with the in-law model that you just never really knew where you stood with God. Am I going to heaven? Am I not? Have I done enough good? Have I done too much bad? I mean, what does God think of me? How do I have right standing with him? How do I measure up? How is anyone even supposed to know? Well, there's a way to know all of those things, and I want to dive in just for a minute to talk about this model and how God operates um, and and religion is supposed to operate. Because for a lot of us, you felt stranded by religion based on one of these faulty models. So I want to dive in just for a minute. We're actually going to look at maybe one of the most unlikely places. We're going to look at the most famous set of rules ever written, the Ten Commandments. Uh, Maybe you've heard of the Ten Commandments. They showed up around 1446 B.C., And they're some of the oldest and most documented rules in history. And here they are. We know them as the Ten Commandments. Now, if we were to have an honest moment and I were to say, how many of you could name all ten? You know, there would not be a hand that would go up in this room, all right? I mean, you might know two or three. Like, you know, don't, you know, commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie. But after that, things get really fuzzy. You know, if you're an overachiever, maybe five or six, but no one is probably going to be able to recite all ten. Yet they're really important. And God gave these Ten Commandments through Moses to the people of Israel. Now, last week, we talked about this man named Abraham. And the three most, uh, the biggest faith traditions, uh, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity, they said everything began with Abraham. And it's true. And then from there, it kind of split off. But Abraham was taken outside by God. And God said, look up at the stars. I want you to look at all of them. Do you see all the stars? And he's like, oh, I can't even count them all. And God said, your descendants are going to be more than all of the stars in the heavens. And it was true. And so Abraham finally had a son who had kids, who had kids, who had kids, and eventually became the children of Israel. 
Now, these millions of people had been trapped in slavery now for 400 years. Imagine this. If your family today got trapped into slavery and then for 400 years lived through that, there would be generations in your family that never knew what it was like to live in freedom. All they would know is slavery. And so God sent Moses to liberate or free the people. They're no longer in slavery, slavery, but here's the thing. They have no idea how to live in a free society because they've only been slaves their whole life. And so God said, I'm about to give you a set of rules to live by. Not a bunch of rules for you to resist, not because I'm a mean God, but because I know that if you follow these rules, your life is going to be better. And if you don't follow these rules, life's going to be difficult. But I want you to pay attention to these things. So he gives them these laws to operate as a free society. Now, as I read the introduction and what God says as he delivers these commandments or set of rules to the people, I want you to pay attention because what God says actually answers the question of which model fits our faith and how rules and relationship with God are connected. This is so fascinating. It's so important. And it's found in Exodus chapter 20. If you ever want to read about the Ten Commandments, you just go to Exodus chapter 20. You go to Exodus chapter what? 20. And you can read it for yourself, and I would encourage you to do that. Open up your Bible this week, go to Exodus 20, and read this whole story because it's pretty amazing. So Exodus 20, verse 1, it says this. And God spoke all of these words. And here's what he said. He began this way. I am the Lord, your God. Now, at first glance, this may not mean a lot to you, but it's super important because out of the gate, God is talking about the relationship that he has with Israel. He says, I am your God and you are my people. In other words, we have relationship. And the people are thinking, well, but God, we haven't done anything for you yet. How can we have relationship? No, no, no. I know you haven't done anything yet for me, but I'm telling you that I'm your God and you're my people. And he continues, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. This is what he said. He goes, listen, listen, Israelites, listen. I have done something extraordinary for you and you haven't done anything for me yet. I rescue you out of slavery, out of Potiphar's iron rule and now you're gonna get to live in freedom. I mean, when you were in your darkest moment, I showed up and rescued you even though I didn't owe you anything. Do you know why I did that for you? Because I am your God and you are my people. You see, out of the gate, your next feeling, God wanted the Israelites to know before any rules were given, they already had a relationship with him. Before any rules were given, there was already a relationship. Before any rules were broken or kept, They were his people and he was their God. Why? Why was he their God? Because they trusted him as their God to deliver them out of Egypt, out of slavery. They trusted him. And this is what we talked about last week, that trust in God is the beginning point of every relationship. We said last week that I can believe in this chair all I want. All of you sitting out there, you can believe in this chair. All together, we can believe in this chair. But it's not until I put my full life on it that I truly trust it. Suddenly, I trust this chair, that it's going to hold me up. And in the same way in faith, 
You can believe lots of things, but until you put your life in it, until you put all your trust in it, that's where relationship with God is ignited. It's in trust, and it's not in what you do or don't do. It's all about trust. And so the Israelites, they trusted in God to be their deliverer, and because of that trust, they had instant relationship. And so out of the gate, God says, all right, now that we got this cleared up, I'm your God, you're my people, we have relationship. Now, there are some rules I want to give you as your heavenly father to help you live better. And here's the first commandment. Here's the first rule I want you to follow. Verse three, it says, you shall have no other gods before me. You see, back in this time, they were used to having thousands and thousands of gods. And God said, no, 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 no longer. You aren't to worship or follow any other God but me. I am it. And I have to imagine the people of Israel were like, well, of course we're willing to follow that. Like you just delivered us out of slavery. We're not gonna pay attention to any other gods. Like this is easy for us, God. What else you got, right? Of course, you're gonna be the one true God. We're gonna follow you. And then God goes on to give them some common sense rules like make sure you tell the truth to each other. You know, don't sleep with your neighbor's wife because that won't end well. Uh, He says, you know, make sure that you don't steal your neighbor's stuff. That's not cool either. And so don't do those kinds of things. And on and on and on, Jesus, or God gives this list to the Israelites. Now here is why this is important in the context of what we're talking about today. So important. And in fact, if you miss this, you're actually going to miss the whole idea today. And this is the next filling in your notes. That the Ten Commandments were a confirmation, not a condition of their relationship with God. The Ten Commandments, the rules they were to follow were a confirmation of relationship, not a condition of their relationship. God wasn't saying, listen, okay, here's the ten and you got to follow all these or you're out. Hey, if you break up to five, I mean, you can break up to five, but after five, boom, you're done. You're no longer in the group. You're no longer in the family. No, no, it wasn't the case. Why? Because they had relationship. This was just part of the family rules. So my wife and I, we have four kids, and my oldest just turned 12 yesterday. And he's in middle school, sixth grade now, and so for a while we've been having the cell phone conversation. Maybe you as parents have been having some of those, and if you're not there yet, I cry for you and I weep for you because this is not an easy decision, right? What age is the right age and what do you do and safeguards and all these things and blah, 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 blah. And and so we decided that we were going to give him a cell phone and according to him, everybody in middle school has a cell phone. And so, you know, we decided to bite the bullet. We found some great... uh, an app that, you know, can help monitor all of his activity and all those things. And, and uh, so we gave him the phone, and it was such a special moment because, like, he started crying. He wasn't expecting it. It was really cool. But after we gave him the phone, I took out an agreement that my wife and I had made up, and it was a list of 20 rules. <clears throat> and it started with, we bought the phone. We still own it. Aren't we the greatest parents in the world? Right? I mean, that's a good one, Right? And it began to list 20 things that he was responsible for if he wanted to have a phone, things to do with his phone, things not to do with his phone, Uh, understanding the importance and and severity of this responsibility. And so at the end of these 20 rules, he had to sign it. You know, he signed his name. And then I said, well, you got to add your last name. And he rolled his eyes. Okay. No, you got to put the date. Dad, really? Okay, fine. I'll put the date. All right. And here's the 20 rules, right, that we, we came up with that we just said, hey, we're going to hold these things to them. And the very last thing that we put on the agreement was that we know that you're going to mess up, 
we're going to take away your phone, we're going to sit down, we'll talk about it, and we'll start all over again. At the bottom of the rule list, it did not say, if you break these rules, you are no longer a part of our family. See ya, right? Now, there may have been times as a parent I have threatened to take my children to the fire department, but I have never done it, okay? I've never done it. We may have threatened it. But of course, if he breaks the rules, that doesn't mean he's no longer a part of our family. He's already a part of our family. Now, he gets to decide if he's going to follow the rules, his life will be pretty good. If he decides not to follow the rules, he'll be writing letters to people because there won't be any other form of communication available to him, right? And that's just how it's going to be. But he gets to choose. But whether he keeps them or breaks them does not mean that he is or is not a part of our family. He's always a part of our family. And this is the idea that God wants us to understand. That because of our relationship, you're already in the family, but we've got some family rules. And because I love you, here are some things not to do. It's for the, for the good of your life and everybody around you. And if you'll follow these, I'm telling you what, your life's going to be pretty good. And if you don't follow these, you're going to have some real difficult times. But why am I giving you? Because I love you. Because this is the family model. It wasn't the work model. That says if you break them, you're out. It's not the in-law model where you're not quite sure where you stand. God says I want to make it abundantly clear that you are in the family if you have put your trust in my son. And so in the family model, the Israelites accepted it. But they screwed up a bunch of times. And in fact, you read throughout the Old Testament that when people screwed up, God didn't kick them out of the family. You know what God did? Just like any other good parent, he said one, two, Three, all right, you're in a timeout, right? And he would put whole nations in a timeout, sometimes for like 70 years. They'd be in a timeout. But he never kicked them out of the family, right? He said, you're in a timeout. You're next feeling. You see, God would discipline the Israelites when they broke the rules, but he never kicked them out of the family. Why? Because with God, relationship precedes the rules. Relationship always precedes the rules. The relationship always comes first. So if you have ever, in your journey of faith, as you've grown up, as you hit your college years, whatever it was, if you found yourself rebelling and resisting against faith because of rules, here's what I want you to do. I want you to ask yourself this first question. Are these rules really my heavenly father's rules? Can I find them in scripture? And if I can't, maybe there were a bunch of man-made rules that God never intended me to live by. If that's the case, scrap those. But then as you find the ones that Scripture talks about, I want you to ask yourself, why would God give me this rule? If he's a heavenly father, and I'm a part of his family, and he loves me, why would he give me this rule? And the answer is not so that he can kick you to the curb but rather your next fill-in, God gives us rules because we're his children. And like any good parent, he wants to protect and provide for you. Like any good parent, he wants to protect and provide for you. And here's what's amazing, and don't miss this. This is so life-changing. Right, when we gave rules to our kids, it wasn't because we didn't like them, Right? And my kids, whenever they've whined, oh, why do we have rules? Why do we have to do that? Does that sound familiar? Like the whining, right? Why, why, why? Why can't we just have no rules? 
Well, if we didn't have any rules, that would actually mean I don't love you at all. If I let you do whatever you want, whenever you want, it would actually mean I don't love you. And I'll never forget, I, we were youth pastors for many years, and I'll never forget one night after a youth service, one of the big football players came down, sophomore in high school, burly kid, and he sat on the steps, and he just started crying. And I sat next to him, and I said, man, what's going on? And he just said, I just feel like my parents don't love me. I said, no, man, why would you say a thing like that? And he said, because they never care about anything I do. They never ask where I'm going. I have no rules, and it just feels like they don't love me. And in all actuality, it's true. But here's the mind-blowing thing about your heavenly Father is that any rule he gives you and gives me is evidence of his great love for you. Because if he didn't care about us, he would have said, do whatever you want. But he is a heavenly Father who knows you by name, who saw when you were born and has never taken his eye off of you. In fact, you've never lived an unloved day. There's never been a moment that your heavenly Father hasn't thought about you. And he's given you rules. And he's given us things to follow. Not to be difficult, but because he loves us. And over and over again, Jesus taught the same thing. It wasn't just for the Jewish people, it was for all people. And John, who followed Jesus and knew Jesus best, the same John that when Jesus was on the cross and he, and he said to John, take care of my mother, John wrote about his experiences with Jesus. And regarding this topic, this is what John wrote about that he learned best from Jesus. And we find it in John chapter 1, verse 12, as we get ready to close. It says this, Yet to all who did receive him, speaking of Jesus, to all who received Jesus, to all those who believed or trusted, just like this chair, whoever trusted in his name, he gave the right to become, what's that word? Children of God. I mean, what an amazing thought. For all those who received Jesus, for all those who decided to put their trust in him, he gave them the right to be called children of God. And John was saying, listen, Jesus made this super clear for us that a relationship with him is always preceded, always precedes the rules, that the family model is true for everyone, whether it's church people or you're not a church person, whether you're a religious person or not a religious person, whether you're a rule follower or not a rule follower, for those that put their trust in Jesus, they can be a part of God's family. Everyone can, if they so choose. So as we get ready to close, I want to give you a question, kind of like a homework question. I know we don't like homework, but I'm going to give you a homework question, something to think about this week. And it's not about a theological discussion, but a conversation I truly want you to have centered around this question right here. Growing up, did you feel like religion was based on the family model, the work model, or the in-laws model? What was it for you growing up? I'm not asking what is the right answer. I'm asking just in your experience, what did it feel like for you growing up? Which one shaped how you approached God? Was it the family model that said, hey, God loves me no matter what. 
and I'm a part of his family. And even if I mess up and even if I screw up, he might correct me, but he will not kick me out. Was that the model you lived with? Or was it the work model that says, I've got to live a certain way to keep these rules and prove to God that I'm worth keeping in the family. And I'm always on pins and needles because if I screw up, I know he's going to kick me out. Or did you grow up with the in-law model? That he loves me because like I prayed this prayer once and I mean, he's not happy I'm in his family and I don't really ever know where I'm at with God and I just hope my good outweighs my bad. Which model did you grow up with? And that's something I want you to think about maybe on your car ride home today you could talk about. Maybe over lunch or dinner, you could try to answer that question because it has impacted your faith journey whether you realize it or not. But here's what God wants us to understand and it's the last fill-in. God wants you to know that when you place your trust in him, you're a part of the family. You're a part of the family. And while he gives us rules to live by, they're there to protect us and provide for us, not to find a reason to kick you out. Because your heavenly father loves you and wants nothing more than relationship 